Week nine, law and presence. Well, today we're finishing up, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter five. Last week, to give you a quick recap, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. I got to do good because we don't have the recording from last night. So last week, we talked about the benefits that are made accessible to you when you are made right with God by faith. When you place your faith that Jesus is the one who saves you, it makes you right. Not law, it's not what you do, it's where you put your trust in. And when you put your trust in him, your lifestyle starts to look different and it will start to look like what was detailed in law. When Jesus fulfilled the law, he was not trying to say it's not important anymore. He did something the law could never do. The point of the law was to show you how filthy you were. Not as a way to get right. Jesus says, the law can't do that. You can't do that. The only thing that can do that is me. I paid the price. I made you right. But the evidence of someone truly putting trust in me is that their life will start to look different. You, you will start to look like your new identity is right. You can't exist in Jesus and keep on old clothes. You can't exist in him and still look like the old sinful nature. And if you've been in a relationship with God, but nothing has changed, you better check what relationship you've been in with, because I, tr- I promise you it ain't been with the one true God. Because it can't happen. When you have a relationship with someone, desires change. Or you'll die to things you want to honor things they want. You start to go to places you wouldn't usually go to. Because out of a relationship, you start to honor the thing you're in a relationship with. When you're truly in a relationship with Jesus, with God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when requests start being made, you know, there, there's, there needs and tends to be less of a battle when you're deeper in a relationship Because you're not trying to convince God why your need is better. You're willing to say, I trust you. I have faith in you. So I'll put my knees at the altar and say, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll lose whatever you want me to lose. I'll do whatever you would have me do. When you are made right, we were told last week that there are benefits made available to you. That you have peace with God. That you stand in grace. Grace is not a means of I'm saved by grace. It's not just the beginning. It's a present stance. We're going to talk about that more today. Grace is not just the beginning of your walk with God. Grace is the means of which you get access and you can go into the presence of God. Grace makes a way for that. Grace does not excuse you to keep sinning. Grace makes a way for you to get with him where that was never made possible before. It gives you access to heaven, righteousness. It gives you access to sharing glory. You're strengthened in glory through trial. You develop strength through, uh, for endurance. You're filled with love. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You rejoice in a penalty that's been forever changed. There are benefits to being made right. Amen? Well, after Paul lays this out, all these benefits of being made right, he starts to go into this conversation about co- contrasting two specific men. And before we get into that contrast of the two men, we're going to start out by reading the account of Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, before I read the text, let me give you a quick summary of the verses that I'm not going to show today. Basically what happened, if you've never heard it before, Adam and the woman, someone say the woman, this is important. And you're going to understand this in a minute, but let's not refer to as Eve right now. She is who? The, that woman. This is probably the worst message I could preach on Mother's Day, but we go in there. That woman. That woman was exercising her women's lib, and she went, no, she, I'm just kidding. She goes, she starts having a conversation with a serpent. 
the serpent suggests something. Did God really tell you that if you eat this fruit, you'll die? You ain't going to die. So she eats the fruit. And then that woman starts talking to, to her, her man. <laughs> Baby, this fruit's so good. You want some? And Adam's like, yeah, sure. He eats, and at that moment, he eats the fruit. They realize they're naked. And they start covering up with fig leaves. And they're running from what was their usual. What was their usual? Their walk in the presence of God. They realize they are totally exposed. They now have a knowledge of good and evil. We forget that in the church. It was not just a tree of the knowledge of evil. It was the knowledge of good and evil. The reason they could walk with God was not because even they were righteous, it's that they were innocent. In their innocence, he made them right and said, you can walk with me. You don't know good and you don't know evil. All you know is walk with me. And I think the church has got to get back to the place where we get out of using our knowledge of good and evil and back into the place with, I don't care what it looks like, I'm walking with you. Even if it looks good, I'm not going to justify what I want to do just because it looks like a good idea. I'm going to sacrifice my knowledge of good as well as my knowledge of evil just to get into the walk. Okay? So... God starts to have a conversation with them about what they just did. And he starts to give them the punishment. So this is where we're going to pick up in verse 16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. You will desire to control your husband. All the men laughing. The women will have a desire to control their husband. Husbands, y'all ever experienced that? Yeah, they were, no, no, never. <laughs> but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listen to your wife, not the serpent, since because Adam didn't have a conversation with the snake. Because the serpent knew, if I'm going to get them to do something, I can't go to the one that has the authority. Let me, let me get in this in a minute. Okay, I'm getting too, too quick. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, don't worry, I am not a chauvinistic, no woman's right, just go with me. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. Not because of that woman. The ground's cursed because of you. The woman is not the cause of sin. It was Adam came into agreement with something that hadn't even been named. Because Eve didn't even have a name yet. It was Adam and the woman. Let me go further. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to the dust you will turn... Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve. God did not name the woman. Adam did. Because she would be the mother of all who live, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. There is so much in here that we need to understand before we open up Romans chapter 5. There's a few things to point out. The authority was not with the woman. She didn't even have a name yet. The authority was in the hands of Adam. The ground was cursed because of Adam. 
Adam had the authority to take care of the sin issue when the woman started having a conversation with him. They did not realize they were naked until Adam came into agreement with the woman that was deceived by a suggestion. The only power the enemy has over you is to suggest something. You cannot blame the devil for your sin life. Because your sin life started when you came into agreement in your mind with a suggestion. That's why God says we've got to go through the process of renewing your mind. That's why he says if you thought it, you might as well have already done it. Because your flesh comes into agreement with what you're thinking. If you start thinking, I need a drink, your flesh is going to start craving the drink. If your mind starts thinking about what you would do to him or what you would do to her, your flesh is going to respond. Amen? You have got to get your flesh under the authority of a surrendered mind and heart to the Holy Spirit. The authority never rested in Satan. He never had it. So he started talking to something that answered to the thing that had authority. She came into agreement with it, and in a moment, Adam could have simply said, Woman, I ain't going to eat that. Instead, he came into agreement with someone who was deceived. We'll see in a moment, God didn't even talk to the woman about don't eat from the tree. He gave that commandment to the man. And he was to bring order in the house. There's a reason for this. I'm just trying to, y'all okay? I'm trying to build this. Adam was made in the likeness of the image of God. Genesis 1.27, man is made in his image. And in the image of God, he carried an authority. He carried an authority to do things that were God-like. He carried an authority to name things. He carried an authority to tackle a sin issue. Put it in a submission. Don't come into agreement with deception. Adam had an authority. And, in that, and when you have an authority, all authority has to exist under some sort of covering. What was the covering? They were covered in the presence of God because of the innocence of not knowing of good and evil. Once they were exposed to the knowledge of good and evil, the authority did not get taken away from man. Whoa, 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 what do you mean the authority wasn't taken away? Of course, of course it was. No, it wasn't. They sinned, and then who named Eve? God didn't. The authority still remained in man. But the covering they were in now was opposite of his. The very first thing they did when they started making decisions on their own was let's get some fig leaves instead of talking to the one that they've known since they were created. And even in walking in that authority, they still needed covering. And they tried to get their own covering with fig leaves, even though God was the only one who could provide appropriate covering. What was the appropriate covering at that point? It had, he gave them animal skins. Because appropriate covering has to be done through a sacrifice. That is why you can only be covered... Under the lamb, who was what? Sacrificed. Even in the beginning, the sacrifice of an animal, after they were separated from God, the sacrifice of a lamb, the sacrifice of something had to be given for them to be covered. And instead of going to him, they got their own covering by their own hands. And we can carry the image of walking in his covering or in an artificial covering. And I believe the church, you've got two kinds of people. People who are walking in the covering of God and people who have been walking in an artificial covering attained by their own hand, which is totally out of his presence and his walk. 
because you get your covering hiding from the walk. Women find their covering, men find their covering in each other. We, def- we tend to define ourselves and our worth in someone else. Well, you can be covered with them or you can both be covered under me. And I will tell you both who you truly are and if you'll both walk into who you truly are, then everything that you're trying to find worth in yourself will be taken care of, of the identity that you are seeking out in me, not each other. Y'all okay? I've got, God says, I want you to seek me out. Don't find your worth in your job as your covering. Because if you lose it, do you fall into a state of depression because you put your worth in something other than him many people have all sorts of false covering because they don't go up under a walk with God they don't seek God to define them and overshadow them and envelop them in his glorious light they find false coverings church people find covering in a preacher you put your worth and your trust in the man with the mic and when he falls you decide you don't want to be a Christian anymore. Because your covering wasn't under God, it was under a man. There's a difference between alignment and covering. In a spiritual sense. Who, what covering? You will be aligned with who God sets you in alignment with because it's in alignment with what he wants you covered under. Right? I am covered and aligned with Dutch sheets. I didn't do that by my own hand. It took me, it took me years of God, where do you want me to go? I didn't go out and find who was a big name preacher that I could get covered under. It was Lord, where do you want me? And it was seeking and asking and finding and seeking and asking. And every and all the church people trying to get in my ear. Oh, when are you going to get new covering? When are you going to do well, Will you just shut up? I'm talking to God. But that's what people do. We try to attain it by our own hand instead of trying to get in the walk. Does this make sense? And because man had authority outside of the covering, watch what happens in verse 22. The Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? They'll live forever. Leave it right there. Here's the issue with living forever. They were no longer in his covering. They were searching something out for themselves. They were no longer in the walk. They were separated. Sin entered. And when sin entered, they were dead. The enemy deceived them. What did the enemy tell Eve? God said you would die. That ain't going to happen. He deceived because he told a half-truth. He was talking about her flesh. But the death that came was not their flesh. It was now they they were eternally separated. So God said, because you've been eternally separated, if you, with your free will, your ability to do what you want outside of my will, God has predestined you to a life with him. He has purposed every step as said in the Bible. But that don't mean you walk in those steps unless you choose it and submit to his covering. God says, I have appointed no man for wrath. If you've ever been taught a theology that God has chosen an elect few, that is simply false doctrine. I'm going to get into that in a minute. He says... I can't let you eat of that tree of life 
Because if you eat of that tree of life in a fallen state, you will live forever separated. And I love you too much to do that. So what happens next is not a punishment. It's the protection of God. Look at verse 24 or 23. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. Why did he banish them? Because he didn't want them to be forever separated. Y'all getting this? And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. He banished them so they would no longer live eternally in a fallen state. He could not stop them from eating of that tree of life. So he had to cut something off so that they could never enter back in unless they sought it and found it. If you seek me, you will find me. And the only way you can seek and find is by putting your faith in something that you cannot see and faith in the one who currently you might not know. Because I have placed flaming swords to the place of the Garden of Eden, which let me just tell you what that, at, what that is. It is literally heaven on earth. So he gives us prayers. Pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it already is in heaven. But will you define accessing a heavenly realm for when your flesh dies or understanding that when you surrendered your life to Christ, the old man died and a new life has begun and when he made you right, he gave your new life, the new you, access to the place he had to banish them from. The holy place in heaven on earth. I believe wholeheartedly that when Jesus died on the cross and that curtain was torn from top to bottom, it was something going on in the heavenly realm. It wasn't just a great trick for the earth. What was torn? The thing that separated we read it in Hebrews. Now, because of what Jesus did, you can enter into the most holy place that is in heaven. In other words, at that moment, those flaming swords went like this. And now, you can find it, but you're not going to find it by attaining it with your hand, with your method, with your opinions, with your tricks, with trying to get relevant to a culture that is dying, the only way you'll find it is you have got to seek him out. And what the church has done is we don't seek him out, we seek out methods. So we look at this denomination, we look at that denomination, we look at this structure, we look at that structure. There's a reason why none of them have worked. There's a reason why there's an absence in the church. Non-denominational is a denomination. They all do the same thing. They look the same. All worship leaders wear tight jeans and mohawk hairs. I'm not just talking about denominations. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We have not sought out the new thing because we're depending on methods that have always made us, made it easier to do. Because it's established and it's less work. All right? He says, I don't need that anymore. I need you to seek me and my ways because I want to pour out something new and it can only be poured out in a new wineskin. And if it's a new wineskin, you're not going to find it in old practices. The only thing you're going to find it in is him. 
who he is, what he is, what he's speaking to you. I was guilty of this when we started this church seven years ago. I tried to do what the mega churches were doing, expecting the same fruit. God gave them that, not me. Every house, every covering has its own thing that God has given them. Now, if you're preaching false truth, that's the enemy gave that to you. But, but God says, I've got something for you. And you can attain that covering with your hand or you can start building something with me. And it's in a hidden place. The tree of life is available through Jesus to those who seek him and gain access to it. Not by doing, but by putting faith in who he is. Adam had an authority, just like Jesus had authority. Adam had the authority to name something with a word, just like Jesus. Jesus existed as the word in Genesis before he became flesh in the New Testament. Jesus existed before he became a human. It was the word. So Adam had the authority to speak and name, just like Jesus had the authority of when the Father spoke, it was. Does that make sense? Adam could have conquered a sin issue, just like Jesus. So Paul starts to contrast the similarities between Adam and guess who? Jesus. To help us with a greater understanding of the kingdom. Y'all okay? So Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Here, we go. Here again, this is New Testament fulfilling Old Testament things. When Adam sinned, not Eve. You find it in Genesis, you find it in Romans. Eve was deceived but Adam sinned with the full knowledge of knowing what not to do. And if you, I'm about to read a text that many preachers have preached wrong, and I'm about to preach it right. And it's a text that's referring to the fall with Adam. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, again, worst message I could preach on Mother's Day. 12 through 14, I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Now, again, don't worry. I am not chauvinistic, and I'm not saying that women can't teach. The first preachers after the resurrection was a what? A woman. He went to the men, and the men wouldn't listen. Just like a man. Except me, you know, I'm perfect, so... I don't let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. What happened was that Eve was deceived and the one with the authority came into agreement with deception. This passage is a specific instruction to a specific people, not a law to put into the rest of eternity. What, was the, what this passage really is about is putting order in a house. What was going on is these women, if you look at the context of the passage, these women were new believers. They didn't have any knowledge of who he was. So what they did was brought order. They said, women, since you're new believers, you are going to stay quiet and you're going to let the men teach. Now here's what you won't hear. I believe this, this order is not just because of the women, it's because of the men. Because Adam came into agreement with the woman. So what if the reason he told them to be quiet, because he knew the women could influence anything with a man. And he said, men, I know you know it, but I know how easily wavered you are. 
So just like Adam was deceived by the woman, can y'all please not say anything because they're still growing. Because if anyone's going to get it wrong, let the one with the authority get the penalty. This was not a women can't teach. This was putting things in order because of cycles that will ever go. Anyone knows that a man is all hard and, and, and strong and rock solid until a woman starts talking. Amen? Adam should have said, woman, this is wrong and we can't do this. He could have conquered the sin issue right there, but he didn't. It was not that the woman couldn't talk. It was I have the authority to put this issue into correction. When Adam sinned, sin entered and it brought death. Because nothing can live forever outside of the presence of God. And now, because they were no longer innocent, their life now existed outside of heaven, outside of the presence of God. And since all men came out of Adam and Eve, all are born outside of the presence of God in heaven. We are separated without a choice because of the choice of one man. And this may offend some of you, but I don't care. Even an innocent baby. Now let me get this thought out before you do your thing. Even an innocent baby is not worthy of heaven just because they're innocent. Because they're born separated. But if a baby passes away, it's not because they were innocent that they got heaven. It was grace and mercy. Don't think that God has to be in a box of law that we put him in. Because even before Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, God took two men straight to the courts of heaven. Their flesh didn't even die. Jesus simply made a way for all to have the benefits that some already earned. Not by way of doing, but by way of faith. Because it's a lot harder to seek God when you don't have a picture of a cross. That's biblical. Search it. Find it. He says it's going to be a lot easier for those who have seen a picture of what he did. And you've got some, someone like David who never saw a cross, never heard Jesus, never read a parable, and he, and he was in the presence of God. Because he had to do what? Seek it. He had to do what? Find it. This is this okay? Verse 13. People sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. See, we've got to, define, we've got to redefine sin. Sin is not just an issue of breaking the law. Sin is an issue of disobedience. The root of why we were counted sinners has nothing to do with the law because law had not been given when we were eternally separated. Sin and death were in the world before the law was ever given. The only thing that existed was the command of God. Don't eat. There was no law written. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no, you know, churchy people saying, you got tattoos, you ain't saved. Thank God. The only thing that existed was his commands, was walking. And there is a principle of reaping and sowing. You get something by which you plant it. You put an orange seed into the ground, you get an orange tree, not an apple tree. That would be weird. So if sin entered without law, righteousness had to enter without law. That's why we see in the next verse, verse 14. Still, even though there was no law, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not obey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who has yet to come. Adam is a symbol of Christ. 
in that it's through one that something entered the world, and law had nothing to do with its entrance. Jesus fulfilling the law simply means the law is to show you how separate you are from the one you need, not to make you worthy by doing for the one you need. The law was meant to show you how filthy you were to create an awareness of how much you need him. Adam and Jesus are both similar in that both were sinless from the beginning. Both did things that they had consequences for all of mankind. In fact, in the, in the Hebrew, Adam means human or humanity. Jesus is referred to as the second or the last Adam. In both of them, humanity existed and in both of them, in what they did, had consequences on behalf of all of humanity. The consequences of Adam's actions on behalf of humanity was death and separation, sin. The consequences of Jesus' actions on behalf of humanity was righteousness that you don't deserve. Neither one of them had anything to do with law. Well, I can't get back to Jesus because you just don't know my life. He knows your life. It has nothing to do with getting the law correct. It's he loves the you that you don't know and loves the you that he wants to redeem back into the one that he knew. He wants to take you where, you're, where you are at and make all the choices work together for the good of those who seek him out. And when you seek him out, he will make the things that were not in your plan work together to get you in line with the original plan. He doesn't create a new plan. He gets you in step with the original plan. Because God's so good, he don't have to make up another plan. Jesus was not the backup plan. Jesus was always the plan. Because we always existed in the word. And the word then became flesh. Either way, you had to exist in the word. Jesus was always the way we were. And he is the way we get access to who God is. Is this making sense? So in verse 15, Paul explains it even more. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. The result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. Adam's sin led to condemnation. God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Adam's work brought death. Jesus' work brought grace to be made right. Being made right does not mean you'll never get it wrong. It means you're made right to get back into a place you were once separated from. Heaven on earth. Walking with God. The very presence of the courts of heaven in the most holy place. In Adam all died. We were all separated. And there are many people who call on the name of Jesus who still look dead. And let me just preach it plainly. If you claim Jesus and nothing about you has changed and you still look dead, something is wrong. You know, we, we preach this false truth of you can't tell me if I'm saved or not. Actually, according to Peter, I can. It says you can see the evidence of salvation by the life they live. So if you claim Jesus and nothing has changed... That's why Jesus says, many will call on my name and I will say to them, I never knew you. The only way you change is through a relationship with the one you call upon. And you cannot find a new life if you don't seek out a relationship with the one who gives it to you. And the only way you can seek out a new life in Christ by the one who gave it to you is because he made you worthy to get into the presence which you were not worthy of. 
You, we were so not worthy of the presence that he gave very specific instructions. How to build the temple. How to build the Ark of the Covenant. There was a courtyard. There was a holy place. There was a most holy place. A priest could only enter in the most holy place once a year on behalf of all the believers. And, and that is exactly what exists now still in the Catholic religion. You've got to go to confessional because you need to talk to a priest not understanding you have direct access to the presence of God. You can say what you want, but there is an issue with that religious construct. And there are some people in the Catholic religion who know God and most only know the priest. I will be bold enough to say it. He said, let me tear the veil. And man said, well, we like the veil. Right? We do the veil with baptism. Baptism is a testimony of what's already happened. Not I got to do it so it will happen. But the church preaches you got to get baptized to be saved. That is not what the Bible says. Baptism simply means get immersed in him. It has nothing to do with water. If you think that you have to be baptized in water to go to heaven, you have just created another separation from the most holy place by simply seeking him out. We need to realize that what he did Simply create a way to freely enter back in. And that's how your life gets resurrected. It's not by all this doing. Your life can just be as resurrected in him and never come into a Sunday morning or a Saturday night meeting. But when your life gets resurrected, you start to have a new desire to commune with the saints. There's a new, you start to get a new want. Because you're no longer trying to earn it. You're existing in something you didn't earn. Verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. It says, all who receive it. It's not referring to ones God picked out. It's talking about a free will choice to choose the offering of a lamb made available to all. The Bible's very clear. Through one, all were separated. And through one, all are called back. It's your choice to accept the call. We talked about it a few weeks ago in Romans. It talks about, well, well we, and we're going to get into it more into Romans. It does talk about an elect and a chosen. What is the elect people? Everyone who accepts their identity as elect. Everyone who accepts their identity as called. But not everyone will because of their choices. Does it make sense? Why, why do I get that bold? Because people ask questions and no one wants to answer it. And we've got to understand what truth is so we can understand who we are in truth. In verse 18, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for Everyone. Y'all know what everyone means in the Hebrew and Greek? Everyone. That's, that's deep right there. It, it took me hours to figure that out. Everyone. Not a few. Not the elect. Not the pre. Everyone. Through his act. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made right. Because one person. You, you know the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. 
when we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us like the wind. Your great deeds don't move God. That's why, that's why when I meet new believers and, and, and new people in the church, when they start off, I tell me all they did, I immediately put up a red flag. I don't want to get to know what you did. I want to get to know who you are. Jesus is not moved by your great deeds. He is moved by your obedience to him who called you out. Your obedience and bowing and humbling yourself, needing him, wanting him, dying to yourself and seeking him out. That's what moves him. Law was never given to prove yourself as good. It was given for a completely different purpose. And he says it again in verse 20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Not for you to gain righteousness. Not for you to do the law to impress God. I'm showing you how filthy you are. And filthy things doing great things are still filthy. A dirty rag will not clean up a dirty table. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Why? Because law exposes how far we are from him. And the more we get farther from him, the more it makes us realize how much we need him. People always talk about how we're in such a bad day in 2021. That Jesus is coming back very soon. Let me give you some peace. Jesus ain't coming back soon. And we're in a good place to see how filthy the world is. Because the more filthy it's revealed, the more people will figure out nothing they've been getting under a covering is working. So they're going to realize they need something else. I find it funny people who do the same things and they still walk into a posture of failure and still say, I don't need God. Well, you're an idiot. That's why your life sucks. <laughs> and you know what idiot is? It's called ignorance, and that is darkness. They simply do not know. So you can't go try to convince them with your knowing. Light has to shine in their ignorance. Knowledge of God has to shine in their ignorance. That's why the God says no one can come to God except by Holy Spirit. And your words and your logic is not the Holy Spirit. You plant a seed and let God grow it. Don't Evangelism is not finding someone on the street and spending three hours trying to convince. If you talk about God and they don't want to hear it, walk on. You're doing more hurt than justice. You're not that good. <laughs> Jesus is not coming soon. Well, how can you say that? He says very clear, I'm coming for a spotless bride. And this bride, the body of Christ, ain't spotless. We've got some issues in the church. And the only way to get the issue fixed is not create more programs. It's not get more methods. It's Figure out the very thing that gets us into his presence. Stop getting it by your hand and teach the people how to seek me. That's it. Well, why is God taking so long? Maybe he's giving every generation a chance to learn how to seek. You don't get spotless by cleaning up the spots. But that's what churches do. Let's get a method. Oh, the preacher fell. He can never preach again. He was already filthy. <laughs> but that's what people do. They can't be restored to their purpose. God put that gift in them, not for you to call it out, to restore it and father that and bring it back up. You hypocritical religious people. 
if that was the case, why did Jesus say, Peter, build the church even though you denied my existence in front of the people that you're going to build the church with? Come on. Calm down. You can't use them. Look at their lives. They can be restored. Thank God. He ain't coming back soon. He's given us a chance. Seek me. You really want God to come back? Let's throw away the methods and the practices and just start seeking him. You, I, I, I really, I, the, people ask People have asked me, how do I gauge the health of the, of the church? I'm going to tell you exactly what God is showing me. It's not, because, so, okay, so on the weekend we have Saturday and Sunday gatherings. Saturdays are usually full. Sundays are, are getting to the place of half full. That is not how I measure a mature and great church. I measure it by who comes to seek. When we say, hey, we're going to come and we're just going to seek the presence of God, and when I find that 10 of the 160 come, that's how I measure maturity. And I know that there are things that prevent from coming. So I'm not going to stand here and try to guilt you into coming. I'm seeking God as to how do we equip people to seek. You see, that's where God has given me wisdom. Don't guilt them into coming because you're getting back into, into method. Show them how to seek. So you know how I got to find it? I can't go on Google and type out, you know, New Spring Church, Elevation Church, Bethel Church, aha. No, God says, seek me. I, I hops the church, y'all. I'm not talking about the restaurant. See, that's how, that's, how, that's, how, that's how filthy y'all are. Y'all don't even know. No. <laughs> that's a praying church. Some of y'all thinking about going to IHOP right now. We've got to learn it, where are the answers to this. It's not in what's been done. It's what do I have for this house. Because there's a reason the people have come to this house and not any other. Seek me. Verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm not ruled by sin now that I'm made right. I'm ruled by where I stand. I'm ruled by the stance of life, not standing in death. So if grace reigns in your life and you're ruled by grace, then your life cannot continue to look unright if you claim you're not ruled by unright things. And I'm going to close with this scripture, but I'm not going to close the message yet. This is the last scripture, and I'm going to take you into the point of this whole law and presence thing. Has it been clear that law had nothing to do with entrance? Okay, good, because I just spent like over an hour making it clear. Titus 2, verse 11. The grace of God's been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. I so bad want to put some of these scriptures up and just put at the bottom, if you are a Calvinist, come at me. Verse 12. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure. We should live in this evil world. God, take me out of this evil world. That's going against what he's commanded. God, take me home. You are home. Heaven's my home. No, it's not. The earth is. That's why he says, when you get in heaven, I'm going to restore the earth and put you back on it. Heaven is a holding place for your permanent location, which is heaven on earth. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Don't tell me you live with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion when you come in here and praise God and then you give your life to the covering of drunkenness on St. Patrick's Day. 
Don't tell me you're living with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. When someone says something about you and you get offended and you talk about it with the whole church before going to the person you got offended with, when the Bible's clear saying when someone causes an offense, go to the person with the issue. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day, that hope word hope, it's expectation, when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He's coming back. Why focus on that? The church has been seeking when is he coming back. And Jesus has made it clear. I'm coming back. I don't know when. And when he went up in the clouds, the angel came down and said, why are you still looking up? Go and do what you've been commanded to do. Go seek him in Jerusalem. And you know how long it took them to seek it? They were seeking for 50 days. And after 50 days, all of a sudden, rushing wind came through a room. Tongues of fire were appeared above their heads. But here's their thing. They weren't praying for fire, and they weren't praying for wind. They weren't praying for revival. What, what were they doing? They were seeking God. With no expectation but by being in his presence. And when they got in the presence, stuff started happening. The rooms were shaken. The, 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 literally, the atmosphere started being affected. We've got to stop praying for the thing and simply start getting in the presence that he graced us with the right to get back in. That's it. That is it. And I said all this to get to this last point. If sin entered without law, and if righteousness entered without law, presence enters without law. You want to know what law and presence have to do with each other? Nothing. Other than when we get in the presence our lives will start to look like the thing that was created to point us as filthy. We'll start to get cleaned up in an identity that is fully clean. See, when you're righteous, you are made as white as snow. So start getting in the presence so that you'll start looking like what he calls you as. Not doing it to get it. Now here's the thing. What does that mean, law, without, we, we get presence without law? It's not by striving and not by clever technique. We're not going to get presence by dim lighting. Let's talk about this house for a second. I've heard people in the worship team and leadership say this. We need to keep the lights low because it just sets the atmosphere. If we can't access God by bright light versus dim light, there's an, there's an issue. Well, I can't praise God today because the music was off. Don't put your praise in the rhythms. Let, let's get really real and let's talk about this house. There's an issue when we can expect the flow of a Holy Spirit-led gathering. And I've said it before, but I, I've got to put it out there. Who wants to grow? We come in here every week and we expect the same thing. Three-minute countdown. Then the Holy Spirit leads us every week to a call to worship. Then the Holy Spirit leads us every week to an upbeat song. And then four songs later gets to a low, you know, song. And then the Holy Spirit leads us every week to a tithe and offering time. And then the Holy Spirit leads us every week for a video that's played. And then the Holy Spirit leads us every week for me to get up here and talk about more announcements, even though we just listen to four minutes of announcements. Then I preach a word that's, you know, only about 20 minutes. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with those things? No. But are we really seeking for God to take... You ever realize that when we read the scriptures of walking with Jesus, every day was different? 
Like, will we be a people that's so obsessed with God that one day we're willing to throw away the Saturday-Sunday flow and just come together when he says come together while equipping you with what to do during the week? Like, what, like what if we focused on equipping and discipling like Jesus as the gatherings and we only gather together when he simply said gather together? But we don't like that because that's not our church technique. We gotta have we gotta have the community with the saints. We we gotta ha- we gotta hear a sermon. Well, you're still depending on something that you can seek and find on your own. And don't worry, this ain't gonna happen next week or next month. I don't know if it will happen, but if he says it, it's gonna happen. And it may be a long transition. Because I'm not stupid. It says get in the evil world with wisdom. Wisdom ain't, hey, y'all, start next week. We ain't going to gather. It's transition. It's building culture. It's understanding who you are. But you see, something happened in the Old Testament that is exactly what the church is doing. And this is where I'm closing. The presence of God existed in something called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Philistine army stole it one day from from Jerusalem. And the Philistine army, they weren't seeking the presence of God. They only knew one thing. We've seen people touch that thing and they die. So we ain't going to touch it. So what did they do? They got, they built a cart. And they got two cows. And they got the cart, you know, you see the typical, you know, the rods through the the arc of the cut. Well, they put it on a cart and let the cows take it away. Well, David, King David, knew he had to go get it back. So when he goes and gets it back, they defeat the, the, the armies, get the battles won. And David says, we've got to get the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. You know what David does? He doesn't seek God. He says, well, let's just do what worked for them. So you know what David did? The scripture says in 2 Samuel, in Chronicles, he built a new cart, and he got two oxen, and he started taking it in. Well, there are some issues with that because eventually it wasn't working anymore. Not getting into that today. Basically, someone touched it. They died, and David said, I don't want nothing to do with the presence. Leave that at that house. And they started getting to walking, and God's like, no, you better go back and get it. When, they go back, when he goes back and get it, he has sought God out, and God has showed him how to appropriately carry in the presence of God. And the way God wanted it carried in was you get that thing with the poles through the Ark of the Covenant, and you carry it in on your shoulders. And the Ark of the Covenant was made with gold, and it was big. So you know what that means? Heavy. And they had a 14-mile journey, and they carried it in. David was using logic, reasoning, method, and man-made plans to originally carry the presence of God in. You want to know why? Because if he didn't use methods already given by Philistines, he knew it was going to be hard. It would take longer. And when you carry a heavy thing for a long time, guess what happens? It gets heavier. What has the church done? It's easy to grow the church when we teleprompt one pastor across 10 screens. It takes longer to raise up teachers. And it will be heavier and more costly and slower. But we trade the heavy for the easy. It's heavier and longer to raise up worship leaders It's easier to hire them from without, and you wonder why they quit in three years because they were never really part of the family. It's more costly and takes more time, 
But it's a better return on your investment when you find the way after you've asked God, how do we do it? Not what has worked for everyone else. Everyone shuts down for COVID and goes to a man-made ideal. Church on Facebook. I'm not saying that invention was a bad thing. But was God ever in the conversation for the people that went to it? Or was it just easy? I'm not saying, I'm not saying going online for a watching services is an ungodly bad thing. But was he included in the decision to do it for the house? I know for this house he said don't do it. I didn't know why until now. He told us stop doing the online thing and shut it down. This was last May or April when COVID shut down in March. And we restored the place and we started meeting together back in July. And what happened from when COVID hit to now, people have been coming that have been searching out for something else. And the only way they found us, because we were the only ones open. But if I did what was easy, they would have never found this place. It was hard, and it was heavy. You don't know the nights I was crying thinking I was a failure. You don't know the nights I was alone thinking I had messed everything up. You don't know the nights where I've been alone where every pastor calls me an idiot while I watch their doors close and my doors stay open. Because I don't seek out what they do. We seek out what God says. It's heavy. It's costly. It's burdensome. It hurts. God lays it out very clearly. This walk with me is sacrificial and it will not be easy. So how do you figure it out? Not by methods, not by law, not by technique. You seek me and you will find it. You know, the oxen, they were a symbol back in that day of wealth and strength and power. You know what the Bible says? After they got the presence of God on their shoulders, God commanded them every one, two, three, four, five, six steps for 14 miles. They had to stop and sacrifice an oxen. Why? He says, I'm going to get it through your minds that you are not going to depend on what you look at as strength and wealth and stability. You are going to get it in your minds that you will depend on me. And when they finally got back into Jerusalem, there was such a joy that David was dancing naked. I mean, they're like, why are you exposing yourself? David's like, I don't care. I just love God. He, he got drunk in the spirit. Now, I'm not saying to go praise God naked today when you go to your restaurants. But what I'm saying, there was a greater degree of praise after 14 miles of heavy price. And I believe that if we will go on a journey of seeking the praise and the rejoicing and the fruit of the Spirit that we've all been wanting, it will happen not because we created a good environment, but because we got into the presence by way of seeking. So church, I say let's start going there. Let's abandon ship of method and law and technique and just say, God, what do you want us to do? Don't be surprised if you get a call on your schedule next week and I say, I don't want to do call to worship or tithing this week. We're just going to start with prayer and go. Worship team, don't be surprised if I say we are not going to have a set list next week. But I'm not going to do it to try to create it by myself. It's only going to be if God says to do it. And he might not say to do it right now. I just say we go for it. Presence of God. Seek him out. He says, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. Let's find him. Amen.